Hello and welcome to the Mythological Africans podcast, where we read and talk about stories from African mythology and folklore. I am your host, Helen Day. The first time Yeninga rode a horse, she grabbed the reins and scrambled up the side of Tontinia's horse when she was barely tall enough to reach her father's spear-bearer's waist. She guided the horse to a light gallop around the compound while declaring that she would be the greatest horse rider Kosiga had ever seen. She'd already shown aptitude for archery and wrestling, so when Tontinia told Nagbewa about her interest, her father sent her a young mare. She named the horse Banco and spent hours on her back racing the other boys. All of Pusiga became used to seeing Yenenga riding Banco around the village with Malititi by her side. Their friendship had grown after Malititi accepted that Yenenga would always beat him at any competition. Together, they rode their horses, sparred, and practiced archery till their arms ached. Zirili, at the time still confident in Nagbewa's regard, joined them sometimes, racing, wrestling, and shooting arrows determinedly alongside his sister, who was clearly the better fighter, rider, and archer. No one was surprised when Nagbewa allowed Yeninga to train with Pusida's warriors and started inviting her to his war council meetings. Her aptitude for strategy was well known among the warriors. Her contingent rarely ever lost during training exercises. There was some murmuring and dissent when she started rising out to battle with the warriors, but the ripples quickly died out when she demonstrated beyond question that her presence on the battlefield was an advantage. Yenenga always won, and the Bansi had more songs to sing about her than anyone else. We would count the ways to sing of your victories, they called out, but who can count millet in the back? You pour triumph from your hand like a successful farmer. Your granary is never empty. You ride across the battlefield like lightning across the sky. They sang out at other times. Your enemies fall down when they hear the thunder. Svelte one who has befriended the enemy's quivers and bulls. Their arrows change their minds mid-flight and fall to the ground. Fierce lioness of Posida, with you we have good health. With you we have peace of mind. Soon, Warriors sought out the chance to ride by Yeninga's side when they went out on military campaigns because the Bansi sang for them too. You are worthy, warriors of Posiga. You have fought for the house and the palace, the chief and the princess. Your patrons will be chiefs and their families forever. The men who joined her contingent also had their own song. We are the lions who follow the lioness to hunt this sun. We are the lightning that branches out and fills the sky. We are the thunder that shakes your bones. Pusiga loved its warrior princess and she loved them back. They mourned with her when Panko was injured during the battle and died not long after. Queen of horses, the Bansi sang. The princess looks for you everywhere, but you are gone forever. When the horse master brought Wadrego, 
as a replacement horse, the Bansis sang Wadurgo's praises as loudly as they had sung Panko's. Prince of horses, they said, when he comes who is mightier than you, then our Yeninga will become a wife. But marriage was the last thing on Yeninga's mind. The leaders of the peoples conquered by Pusiga had started reneging on their pledges of tribute. Nearby kingdoms were getting bolder with their attacks on Pusiga. Expanding and defending the kingdom consumed Nagbewa and Yeninga campaigned by her father's side. Word of her exploits spread far and wide, bringing envoys from sultans and kings and other chiefs and their heirs, all seeking Yeninga as a wife, and the alliance with Nagbewa is guaranteed. Flower which even our enemies want to see, the Bansi sang, but Nagbewa denied them all. At first, Yeninga had been glad to let her father handle these matters while she focused on warcraft. You don't wish to marry? Magititi asked her. I will, Yeninga replied distractedly, expertly knocking an arrow and releasing it into the heart of the figure they were using as a target. Just not now. When there were no enemies to repel or rebellions to squash, she happily joined hunters to roam the bushes and forests around Kosiga, or planted and harvested with the women. Huntress by whose bow and arrow Pusiga is fed, the Bansi's son. Mother who refuses to rest until her children are fed. It is always harvesting season on your farms. She dismissed the first stirrings of discontent, but the feelings had only grown, becoming poignant each time she left for a military campaign. Pusiga's familiar contours in the misty morning, the smell of burning wood and cooking food, the laughter of children and the singing voices of the women who cared for them began to mean more to her. This is what we fight for, she said to Malititi, sweeping her hand across Pasiga and the surrounding lands, which they could see from their position on a small escarpment outside the village. This is what we fight for, and I'm starting to feel like I should spend more time here than away. Then you must find a way to spend more time here, Malititi had responded with an understanding nod. I must. Yeninga confirmed, and I know just how I'm going to do that. Hello again, friends. So we continue our exploration of folklore in modern African literature in this week's episode of the Mythological Africans podcast. And you might recognize the story I just read as an excerpt from my retelling of the story of Yenenga in my book, The Runaway Princess and Other Stories. So yes, I am tooting my own horn today. And there's a reason for this. So this month is the one year anniversary of the book's publication and it remains one of my proudest accomplishments in recent memory. But back to the story. So I made Yenenga the titular character of my book because I think her story is a fascinating glimpse at the contradictions and complexities of being an African woman. Yenenga, as some of you may know, was the only daughter of Nagbewa, also known as Nedega, who is a 12th century king in northern Ghana. And in some accounts, Nagbewa's first son, Tohago, founded the Mamprusi kingdom, his second son, Situbu, founded the Dagumba Kingdom, and his third son founded the Nanumba Kingdom. No kingdom for Yenenga, though, at least not directly. 
Um, there are different accounts about um, Yenenga's life, sometimes conflicting, but one of the main threads in her story is that she was raised to be a warrior and from about the age 14, she commanded her own battalion and she was skilled with javelins and spears and bows and was an excellent horsewoman who rode much better than her brothers. And she was so important to her father's military conquest, he would not let her marry despite her protests. And this is something key to her story. Even you might catch letting her displeasure with that situation being known. Um, so Nagbewa eventually locked her up because she wanted to get out of there, you know, and go do her own thing. And to prevent her from going against his wishes, her father locks her up. But fortunately for her, um, her friends in the King's Guard help her escape by giving her men's clothing and a fast horse and you know, people to go with her. Now, in some versions of the story, she leaves all by herself. And in others, she has this uh, contingent of soldiers with her. In some versions, she gets lost and encounters Rial, uh, an elephant hunter from a neighboring kingdom who becomes the father of her child. In other um, versions, she and her companions are ambushed and she alone escapes with her life before being found by Rial. Now, in all versions, she has a son with Rial who they name Wei Drago in memory of Yenenga's beloved horse. And Wei Drago founded the Mosi Kingdom of present-day Burkina Faso, reason why Yenenga is considered the founding mother of the Mosi people. So for pretty much all African people, marriage and childbearing is very important, and this is especially so for the Mosi Dagomba peoples, out of whose oral traditions Yenenga's story comes. And that's what makes this version of Yenenga's story so compelling. In a paper about traditional Dagomba beliefs on marriage, Mustafa Abdul Hamid, who is a Ghanaian scholar, explains that for the Dagumba, not marrying and having children can be considered an insult to the ancestors, right? Because it's through the birth of children as a result of marriage that ancestors are able to revisit the realm of the living. So by choosing to not having a child, you're refusing possibly an ancestor's you know, chance to come back to, to the realm of the living. And so a displeased ancestor might you know, punish a person, a family or a clan for lack of children. Thus, the institution of marriage and childbirth in particular is held very high among the, the Dagomba people and parents do not hesitate to betroth their children, their girl children especially. So I, I didn't do a detailed enough study to trace how, when this particular belief took root among the Dagomba people. But it's not beyond reasonable to assume that this is a long-standing belief, giving similar beliefs across, you know, the whole African continent. And that's what makes Yenenga's father's action really stand out. But it also casts Yenenga in an interesting light, right? And that's what I try to prove in her story. Um, as some of you may know, the point of the runaway princess and other stories was to kind of get into the head of these different uh, people and see the, the different women and girls in the story and experience their lives from their perspective, you know, getting to their inner worlds and their understanding. So I imagine Yeninga as a woman who is shockingly proficient at warfare, but who also begins to question the point of amassing land and fortunes and subjects if similar efforts are not made to build the internal connections that make people great. And in most traditional communities, you know, the men go out and do the wars and hunting, but it was the women, you know, who really kept things together and built the communities and, you know, kept the traditions alive that melded the people together. So in, in her story, 
that is what she wants to do. She's saying, hey, you know, I fight all these wars and we get all this land, but what really happens when the war is over? How do the people live? So in my retelling, I touch on her relationship with her mother, with the women in her community, and I include a fictional encounter with a dying Dangoba woman, an elder woman, who seeds the idea for her to plant a farm of okra and let it go to waste as a symbol of her frustrations with her father. That's a key aspect of Yenenga's story. So I take a lot of creative license with this story and other stories in The Runaway Princess because my intention was not to write you know, a his book of history, it was to tell a good story. And um, the Dagomba are also known for their elaborate and lyrical praise poetry, so I include a praise song to Yenenga in the story, which you can read in the comments for this episode. Either way, I hope you check the book out. I hope you enjoy the stories. It's 20 prose and verse retellings of the deeds and the seeds of memorable African women from history, legend, and folklore. And you can learn more about the book on the project website, which is linked in the episode notes. So thank you for spending time with me today, and I will see you next week.